We've come to a point where we're going to read from God's Word. So if you'd like to um, pick up your Bibles in front of you and um, we'll start reading through His Word. So in preparation for hearing His message. Um, If you turn to page 612, we're going to read from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 to 6. That's page 612, Ezekiel 34, starting at at, uh, verse number 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe clothe yourselves with the wool and the slaughter of choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. I'm going to be reading from Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, through to chapter 11, verse 1, and that's on page 687 of the Pew Bibles. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, Search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town." I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. 
they will hand you over to the local council and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Any, anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet receives, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man, because he is a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lo lose his reward. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. The chance to meet before. Uh, my name's Mark. I'm uh, one of the pastors at church, mostly looking after things that happen in the morning. Uh, do hope that you kept Matthew's Gospel open in front of you, that particularly lengthy reading, that long speech that Jesus just gave. 
Uh, it would be great to have it over in front of you because that's what we're going to be looking at closely. Uh, but more important than having uh, the Bible open even uh, is having God at work. And so let's pray that he might speak to us. Our Lord and Father, we thank you that you in your kindness uh, have chosen to make yourself known to us. We thank you that you have spoken uh, once and for all in the Lord Jesus and we thank you that you continue to speak and we ask that your spirit might be working this night, working on each one of us, applying your word to our hearts and minds. Uh, Father, we pray that we who need comfort tonight might find it uh, and we who need to be challenged would be equally challenged. Uh, Father, use your word that we might become more and more like your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. As I opened up uh, a magazine I subscribed to the other day, uh, an ad fell out on the ground. Uh, it was this one. Um, it's okay, I don't expect you at the back to be able to see it. Uh, it's just a reward for those who sit close to the front. Uh, let, me, let me describe it to you. Uh, it's, uh, it's a confronting image, a confronting message. It's hard to ignore, which I think is the point. There's this uh, intense close-up of someone's eye. Uh, and across, written across it, uh, it says this. This flyer will ask you to make six choices. Here's the first. Read it or bin it. Clearly I didn't bin it. I couldn't resist. I opened up. Uh, second choice. A 13-year-old girl in Somalia is stoned to death. Will you object or accept? Uh, choice three. A man in Burma is jailed for 30 years just for telling a joke. Will you speak out or stay silent and the next three options actually just get ratcheting up the intensity. Uh, each choice, the offence gets greater and greater. Uh, it's a flyer for Amnesty International, if you've not received one like it. Uh, but more than that, it's a very serious and very clever campaign aimed at my compassion. So what I do when I'm faced with people in need? Because uh, when you're ignorant, it's easy enough to do nothing, isn't it? You know, I don't know. But... What do you do when the helpless and harassed have actually been put right there in front of you? Uh, that's the issue that confronted Jesus. Uh, he saw the crowds and they were harassed and they were helpless. And he went from town to town and he saw sheep without a shepherd uh, and it provoked his compassion. Uh, but as we see his response, just like uh, that ad from Amnesty, it forces you and I into some choices tonight. The major one is, will you live a compassionate life? See, in our passage from Matthew, we are confronted uh, by Jesus' compassionate kingdom. Uh, the section we read comes in a, a broader section, a, br a broader kind of context of what's been going on in Matthew's gospel so far. Uh, the broader context is, is two kingdoms clashing against each other. Uh, so from the opening lines of Matthew's gospel, if you, you know, felt like going back there in 1 verse 1, Matthew wants us to see... Jesus is a king. Uh, in 1 verse 1, Jesus is called the Christ, a, a fancy word for the anointed one, a king. He is the special king of God's kingdom. You know, and that status uh, draws worshippers from all around. Uh, that's what we celebrate and remember at Christmas time. You know, that those wise men, we call them, from the east who come to worship him, who also cause Herod to slaughter all the children of Bethlehem because he will not have another king. And Jesus grows uh, and John the Baptist announces Christ's public ministry by declaring in 3 verse 2, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Which is exactly what Jesus, when he starts 
preaching in 4.17 says, you know, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Not, not in the sense of another political, another worldly kingdom, but that the reign of God was bearing down on people. Yeah, and Jesus brought it in power. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been seeing Jesus bring his kingdom in power, forcefully advancing as lepers get healed, as storms get calmed, as the dead get raised, demons are driven out. Now, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus brings with all its perfection smashes up against this world, this world that is morally and physically and spiritually decayed. That's the context to make sense of Jesus' compassion. These two kingdoms bashing up against one another. In 935, Jesus proclaims the reign of God and he gives evidence of its power. And he looks in 936 and he looks at these crowds and he is filled with compassion because they are like sheep without a shepherd. They are harassed and they are helpless. It's not an accidental phrase. As we read from Ezekiel 34, it's used of God's nation Israel that have been led from him and abused and taken advantage of by their leadership, taken away from God. And he sees these crowds of Israelites and he is moved. Uh, the, the compassion word is a kind of deep in the gut kind of sense. You know, he's, he's moved deep on his insides uh, because they have been led by people who, just before we picked up the reading, 9 verse 34, people, Pharisees who see the, the, the reign of God, the kingdom of God, and they call it the work of demons. That's who's been leading these people. Yeah, and Jesus has compassion because so many of his people are trapped in this oppressive age, like most in Sydney today. And so in compassion, he throws open the gates and invites more into his kingdom. So first he tells his disciples to pray. 9 verse 37. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Um, Even if you're a a kind of city person like me, you would have picked up the imagery is not particularly hard to understand. You know, the, the idea is there are so many people, so many people who need to be harvested, so many who need to be gathered into his kingdom. And so the work that Jesus is doing as he brings this kingdom forcefully, breaking up this current world order, it actually needs to be expanded. It needs to grow. It needs to get bigger. So in the the following chapter, um, Christ sends out workers and he explains first the task, then the challenges, and then the encouragement. So first the task. The task is really an answer to his own prayer. Uh, That is, he gathers this this team to do what he has been doing, powerfully proclaiming the kingdom. Uh, So we get to meet the team. We meet the laborers, 10 verse 1 to 4. Uh, Twelve disciples, just like the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jesus is um, symbolically restarting the kingdom, restarting God's kingdom. And we get their names. Uh, We get a couple of jobs. We even get, in verse 4, the detail of a future betrayal. It's in there in the mix, one of the twelve. Matthew wants us to be unimpressed with them. He wants us to be unim- spectacularly unimpressed by this ragtag group. But at the same time, this unimpressive group, these 12 men, are given the authority of Christ in this world. Verse 1, they have his authority to drive out evil spirits and, e- and heal every disease and sickness. They are given the authority of this new kingdom to go into this world. They're not impressive men, but Jesus equips them completely. 
and then they're sent on this short-term mission. Uh, the task in verse 5 is only at this point to the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, there's a, a biblical pattern, if you've not come across it before, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. A Gentile is just everyone who's not a Jew. Okay? Uh, the Jews who had the promises of God are, are given priority in receiving grace. Not because they're better, uh, but grace is never about you know, equality, it's about generosity. People can't lay claim to it, it's just given freely. And, and they go proclaiming the kingdom in power and they're to do it with that same kind of generosity. Uh, 10 verse 8 talks about, Freely you have received, freely give. Now give it liberally, this great and beautiful kingdom. And, and there's no need for them to take supplies or money because those who welcome the kingdom will welcome them and care for them. So Jesus' compassion for people who are stuck in this decaying world drives him to actually expand the work, invite more in. You know, Jesus sees the suffering of humanity and he is moved by it as it should move us. You know, people do need sickness done away with. You know, we do need injustice to become a, a long-forgotten memory. And the most compassionate response to humanity's pain is to offer them a place in the perfected reign of God. Everything else is just a band-aid. I want to be careful when I use that. Often people use the band-aid phrase and it sounds like it's dismissive as though it doesn't matter. Uh, no, no, band-aids still matter. Band-aids are good. Okay, If my children um, you know, fall over and cut their knee, they're asking for a band-aid, I don't say to them, well, you know, a band-aid won't meet your deepest needs. Uh, they're not going to prepare you for eternity, and so I'm not going to give you a band-aid. No, no, you don't do that. You give them a band-aid. Band-aids are good. Band-aids do little things really well. I'm pro-band-aids. Uh, so when I say everything else is just a band-aid solution, they're still good to do. But the compassion of Jesus is to offer so much more. You know, his apostles are call, called to, to go join him in that task of giving people what they really need. But, but even as he sends the 12 out on this task, this task of compassion, he knows that not all are going to want it. And so he goes on to speak of the challenges uh, because the compassionate life is not easy. In verse 14, not everyone will welcome the kingdom's arrival. And those who won't welcome it are to be treated like Gentiles. Uh, that is, um, you know, the, the sand, you know, the dirt on your sandals just dust off. So there was a custom at the time for uh, a faithful Jew, if they'd had to walk through some Gentile territory to get home, do a business trip, whatever, they'd finish the trip dusting all the, uh, the dirt off as a sign saying, I have nothing to do with those people. And Jesus' point here is that any Israelite, any of these lost sheep who won't receive the preaching of the kingdom, they have nothing to do with Jesus and so their fate on Judgment Day is actually worse than Sodom and Gomorrah's. But it's not just going to be passive rejection that some people won't want it. In verse 16, Jesus warns they are going to go like sheep in the midst of wolves. And these wolves will bite. You know, the persecution is a real prospect. Now, the leaders of Israel, Jesus says, will betray them and beat them. In verse 17 and 18, Jesus looks forward to this time where they're going to go before Gentiles, that is beyond the current task they're doing at the moment to Israel, and they will be on trial. Um, but the threat isn't just from those kind of people over there. Perhaps the most painful verse is in verse 21, where the closest family members will actually hand them over to die. Now Jesus is clear that the challenges are real, the, 
The, the pain, the death, it's a real possibility. And so he advises them in verse 23, flee where you can. There's no point dying if you can avoid it because there's lots of other lost sheep out there who need to be reached. Of course, the challenges that Jesus sets before them are nothing more than exactly what happens to Jesus as the mission leader. You know, the description Jesus gives of their future could be applied straight to him, couldn't they? You know, Jesus was betrayed to the courts. He was flogged by the synagogues. He did stand trial before Gentiles and he was finally, shamefully put to death. Because it's what he had to do to bring this kingdom, this kingdom of power to a decaying world. And he advises in verse 24, a student's not above his teacher. As someone else put it, happy is he who thoroughly understands that though Christ holds out a crown in the end, the cross is in the way. So if I was to think of the Christian life in terms of two images, um, I think it's in the wrong spot, but I'll get Ken. It's beautiful. Love his work. If you think of the Christian life in terms of two images, a, a cross and a crown, I'm tempted to place myself there in the middle, in between the two of them. Now the cross is behind me and I'm just looking at straight at the crown. And, and perhaps you've fallen into that trap as well. And if you have, you're going to find it really hard when the challenges hit because you don't expect them. Because you think, isn't the cross behind me? No, 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 I'm just looking to the cross. No, no, no. We need to realise that both. The crown and the cross, both of them are actually in front of us. And in fact, you can't really see the crown clearly because the cross is blocking it. It's in the way. You know, the only way to get to the crown is to go through the cross. And all through this life, the cross blocks that clear view of the crown. You know, happy is he who thoroughly understands that though Christ holds out a crown in the end, the cross is in the way. Now, Jesus doesn't simply, though, speak of challenges that will befall them but the challenges are there and they are real he also gives encouragement the task is hard yes but be encouraged you're doing it with divine help now they have his authority in verse 20 they are the mouthpieces of god himself now more than that jesus go no there's a gush simon he has one home but he can still manage to close doors I'm aware that the cool breeze might have been pleasant for a moment, but we'll make it harder for us. Um, the encouragements. Jesus makes it clear to them that, yes, there will be challenges, but there are limits to what those who oppose can do. So in verse 28, have a look at it. Yeah, the opposition, they'll kill the body, but they can't do your body and soul. Now in verse 29, the one who has the power over your body and soul actually values them. And so he encourages them to look beyond the days of shame, look beyond the days of, of hardship to when Christ will proudly acknowledge them before the throne of heaven. Have a look at verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Yes, the, the, the challenges are true. He doesn't underestimate them. You know, he is clearly asking people to give up what they treasure most, even their lives. So in verse 39, there's a verb to lose. Uh, and it has the same sense, the same kind of root as uh, back in verse 28, the verb destroy. That is, he expects people to have their lives destroyed for his sake. But it's the only way to ultimately save your life. You know, whoever finds his life will lose it, will destroy it. 
And whoever loses his life, destroys his life for my sake, will actually find it. As the martyr 20th century uh, missionary Jim Elliott wrote in his diary, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what she cannot lose. And what he wrote in his diary was actually a paraphrase. He was ripping someone else off. Uh, it was the work of somebody else, an English clergyman, Philip Henry, who'd written it uh, a couple of centuries beforehand. And what both of those men had in common was suffering. Um, Jim Elliot died at the hands of um, Ecuadorian tribesmen he was trying to reach with the gospel of Christ. Uh, Philip Henry, uh, a few centuries earlier, had lost his house, his livelihood, his official ministry, and a desire to be faithful to Christ. Um, he actually was declared illegal as a preacher, but he kept preaching, and the hardships continued. See, both men had challenges, but they overcame. You know, they, they stayed faithful because they understood there were real rewards. Compassionately bringing the gospel to people, it may not be easy. But the encouragement is there is a real and lasting reward at the end. So Jesus looked at these crowds and he had compassion. And what do you do? He says, I'll throw open the gates of this kingdom. I want more in that they might enjoy it. What's it mean for us? You know, in one sense, you could look at this and go, oh, it's very time specific. You know, th- this task is a short-term mission to Israel, but it actually sets the pattern for, for all the missions after Christ's death and resurrection. Uh, it, it might be that the coming of the Son of Man in, in verse 23 is what it's about. Um, uh, you know, when Jesus ascended, uh, it was promised in Daniel 7 that uh, one would come into the presence of the Ancient of Days. So verse 23 might be talking about his coming, not to us, but to, to the, the, uh, the Father in heaven. Uh, and that might have been the change, but even if it wasn't, we, we've got a very clear instruction from Jesus as he ascended in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, where he said, Go, make disciples, not of Israel, but of all nations. You know, we read this section knowing that Christ has done more to bring in his kingdom powerfully, to bring in that, that compassion and thrown the, the gates much, much wider than just Israel. You know, we look at Matthew 10 and we see this is just a little slice of heaven, the heavenly kingdom that he will bring about. You know, we might have not have been given the, the authority that the apostles have had to give powerful evidence of that kingdom and what it will be like, but, but we don't need it. You know, the great works of the kingdom have been done and we can point back to them. Yes, you might go, oh, it's time-specific, but, but God is still defining for you and me what compassionate living is. And it forces you and me to decide if we will be a part of Christ's compassionate kingdom to make some choices. Choice one, the harvest is plentiful. Will you pray or stay silent? So Jesus' first response to the needs of the crowds wasn't, oh, I better get the, the apostles together. No, no, it was, we better pray. Now, if you're anything like me, uh, then the urgency of life and uh, you know, the, the pressures of time means prayer gets squeezed. Uh, reading Matthew as well as uh, what I preached on this morning from, from Two Kings, I was struck actually how important prayer is. You know, I've got a prayer routine and, and I pray small prayers throughout the day um, alone with other people. But, but I read these passages and I, I took an extra hour out in the middle of the day the other day just to walk around Kirribilli and pray. Now, because for Jesus, in his mind, the harvest is so ripe, it is so big, it is so ready for picking that we need to pray. 
You know, for him, that is the effective thing. Because uh, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many great uh, Christian training courses you've been to, it is too big a harvest for you to carry. We need to pray. We need to pray for him to raise up more and more people to bring in the kingdom's harvest. As someone put it, if we would do good to the world, our first duty is to pray. So do you want to live a compassionate life? You need to start on your knees in prayer. The harvest is plentiful. Will you pray? Choice two. The mission field has grown. Will you labour or be lazy? So Jesus sent out his apostles to let Israel know that the kingdom was at hand. Uh, But what was a message for one nation is now a message for all nations. Uh, Again, those words of Christ as he ascended. Make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that Jesus said. There are currently 196 nations in the world. Now, you can dispute that with me later because some of the countries are warring and some don't recognise. And Let's just say 196. Here's the great news. Every one of them is represented by at least one person here in Sydney. How fantastic is that? God and his kindness has brought the massive harvest to our doorstep that we can show compassion to them. But it is work to tell the gospel. Now, it's not an accident that Jesus uses the imagery of labouring in 9 verse 38 to describe the task of compassionately inviting people into his kingdom. Like all work, uh, telling the gospel requires effort, it requires energy, it can be disappointing and frustrating. But, like all work, it can be enriching and rewarding and give you a sense of satisfaction and even exhilaration. It's work. It's work to tell the gospel. Uh, I think of a man who... Um, I've had the opportunity of discipling from unbelief to, to Christian conviction. And it's been work. You know, carving out time to meet with him and, and to pray with him and for him and, and the effort of considering, okay, what's the next thing I've got to read with him or what, what's the book I've got to buy to make him read? You know, what, it's work. But what a reward it is now to see him sharing that news with others, inviting his colleagues to church, to thinking about his family and work from an eternal perspective rather than just a worldly one. Now, our church here is blessed by those who teach kids' church and soul each week. You know, they work. If you've never done kids and youth ministry, uh, let me you know, clue you in. It's loads of work. It's preparation and patience. You can't just rock up and do it. You actually have to do the stuff beforehand. But like all work, it's rewarding. You know, there are four-year-olds in uh, kids' church at 9.45 who quote scripture. Currently, there are nine- and ten-year-olds in uh, kids' church in the morning who are reciting the Apostles' Creed because they're working through doctrine. You know, uh, there are kids from unbelieving families who come to Seoul who profess Jesus. And this labour is not about getting paid. I think the downside of this passage being so popular with... Um, churches and mission organizations you know they take it and they they take matthew 9 30 you know 7 and 8 and they they put it on their advertising the problem with that and you know i'm not stealing it away from the problem is it gives the impression that jesus was asking us to pray for a professional class of laborers to be raised up as though this prayer in jesus mind was about oh we need more missionaries and ordained ministers that's not what he's thinking about it's work that every member of his kingdom does because it's the work he does and so 
We, if we know Christ, are strategic in our time and energy to create opportunities for the gospel. You know, we are, to, to coin Jesus' approach, we are shrewd yet innocent. Shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. So knowing that the lost congregate in sporting teams, we shrewdly join them. But knowing that the gospel is about holiness in innocence, we don't resort to deceit to try and win them for Jesus. We're open, we're honest. Now, our communications pastor, Steve, um, shrewdly uses social media to have conversations with people all around the world about Jesus. Uh, but he has shared how it's a struggle to stay innocent when the conversations turn to insult and persecution. Now, the mission field has grown. Will you be a compassionate labourer? Choice three, the opposition continues. Will you fear God or man? Jesus is not backward in coming forward in how serious this opposition is. Uh, in 10 verse 34, uh, there is a line that you won't get on your Christmas card this year. Um, I have not come to bring peace but the sword. If anyone gets a Christmas card like that, I'd love to see it. Um, <laughs> I'd be surprised. Um, that is, as his kingdom comes and clashes with this decaying world, even the closest bonds will be broken. You know, the gospel will divide. The gospel and his kingdom calls for new loyalties. Um, that is, Jesus first and everyone else second. And more than that, compassion will bring opposition. The, the gospel challenges us to get right fear. You know, 10.28, fear the one who can destroy eternally more than those whose power is limited. Uh, you would know as well as I that the pressure is on for Christians to be quiet. The world loves low-profile Christians, don't they? I'll tell you, your non-Christian family and friends will hold you close as long as your commitment to Christ doesn't interfere in any way with the time that you have with them. They'll love you as long as it doesn't get in the way. Uh, and they will love you as long as your commitment to Christ doesn't get in the way of the career ambitions that they actually hold for you. you know, I love, um, I read Peter Fitzsimons' uh, sporting columns in the Herald. Um, you don't read it for analysis, you just read it for controversy. Uh, again, yesterday, if, um, if you caught the paper, he was complaining about sports stars uh, who talk about Jesus and how wrong it was and how they should you know, shut up. Um, a few lines later, though, uh, he was commending Wallaby forward David Pocock for writing about how he's left his Christian upbringing and he was commending it and bravo to him. Yet Fitzsimons wants quiet Christians and loud atheists. But to give him what he wants is heartless. To fear him is, is clearly foolish. But it would be just as heartless and foolish to fear what our family and friends might do. Now, opposition continues. Will you fear God or man? Final choice. Choice four, the rewards are real. Will you be proud or ashamed of Jesus? Jesus calls for people to name him in front of others that he might be proud of you and name you on that final day. You know, we might be a, a culture that is uh, a name-dropping culture, a celebrity-obsessed culture, and yet so many of us struggle to name-drop our personal acquaintance with the Saviour of the world. A, a lovely Christian man shared with me how uh, on a recent dinner uh, he went out, he, he for some reason got chatting with some other people at the restaurant. Uh, they got chatting, the conversation rolled, they asked how he met his wife and he admitted to me that, and, and to others when he answered them that he actually downplayed the church part. 
compared to how he'd share the story with fellow Christians. It was a helpful observation. Because our pride in Jesus is not seen just in the big things like committing to carols under the bridge. And yes, Haley, we should all commit to carols under the bridge. not trying to say we shouldn't do that. Sign up. But it will be seen in the little things, won't it? Not just the big things. And that's how chapter 10 finishes. Little cups of water being commended. Jesus commends those smallest works done. As a sign of being proud of Jesus and being proud of those who associate with Jesus, saying, I want to be with them. I associate with them. They're my people. The compassionate life is seen in those daily acts where we show we are proud of knowing the Lord Jesus and we are proud to be his workers. Now, the acts that that show we are living for rewards, they, you know, rewards that far outstrip anything this world offers, you know, they are the things that Jesus looks for. So will you be compassionate? Will you be proud of Jesus? So we've got a choice tonight, a number of choices. A choice to share Jesus' compassion. As Matthew wrote, when he saw the crowds... Jesus had compassion on them. So harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Will you live a compassionate life? Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the compassion of Christ. We thank you for the way he brings uh, your kingdom of perfection into reality in this world. We thank you for him willing to count the cost and still die upon the cross for us that this kingdom might be brought in Uh, and father we thank you for his compassion in throwing the gates open and inviting all in we thank you that we can be a part of his kingdom and we pray that we would make the most of it by your spirit father work in our hearts that we might share his compassion and act like he might in jesus name we pray amen